Hey, I want to introduce you to a family law firm I could not recommend any higher or more enthusiastically. Uh, we know that unfortunately divorces happen and people grow apart. It's a reality and it's a most difficult time and a difficult process to navigate. And when you are in the midst of that or embarking on that, you need understanding and compassion coupled with outstanding legal advice and counsel naturally. You'll find it, trust me, at one of the top family law firms in the region in Cox Baker Page. They have been celebrated and honored for their work and their compassion for a number of years by U.S. News and World Report. And Laura Page and Mary Cox are consistently listed by them with a best lawyer distinction. If you are someone or you know someone who needs some assistance, reach them at coxbakerpage.com. That's coxbakerpage.com. Mention you heard it from me and receive a discount on your initial consultation. Once again, it's coxbakerandpage.com, a family law firm. The hits literally keep on coming from one boxing event to the next. They grow in excitement and anticipation. And this weekend is no different with two of the sport's most respected fighters stepping into the ring Saturday night. And there's no better place to get in on all the action than with DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app. To celebrate this weekend's huge event, DraftKings Sportsbook is offering new users the opportunity to get 55 to 1 odds on either main event fighter to win this weekend's fight. That's a bet $1, and if the fighter of your choice wins, you cash $55. Plus, with the basketball and hockey playoffs right around the corner, DraftKings Sportsbook has even more ways for you to make it rain. DraftKings Sportsbook is safe, secure, and reliable, meaning you can deposit and withdraw your funds at your convenience. Here's what you do. Download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code GOODMAN when you sign up. It's that simple. The uh, promo code again is GOODMAN. It is DraftKings Sportsbook. Download the app today. This week on the Drew Goodman Podcast, Rocky starter John Gray joins the show and says variety is the spice of life. I feel good with the good mix. We're not resorting to one or two pitches right now, and that, that's really good. I can tell that hitters aren't really looking at a particular area on me, so it's nice to have all those weapons and be able to use them all. And who is John Gray's favorite strikeout of his career? Probably... Alex Rodriguez. He punched out A-Rod. Yeah. Drew discusses the NFL draft, the Rockies' choice for interim general manager Bill Schmidt, and Drew reflects on the Rockies' crazy Tuesday night comeback against the Giants. Holy shit, that just happened. Where did that come from? The Rockies are down by four. They need a big rally. It'll be Elias Diaz to lead things off. Foul ground. This one's playable for Belt. One out. Alan Trejo is going to be the pinch hitter. This ball lined to left center field by Trejo. And Talkman cuts it off. Here's Tapia. 0-2. And he went. Rockies down to their last out. Garrett Hampson coming up. Up the middle. Base hit for Hampson. Hey, listen. Trevor's just taking any way to get on. And there's a drive to left. That'll roll to the wall. Come on down, Trejo. Hampson's going to score. The Rockies within two. And the tying one coming up in Ryan McMahon. And that's a base hit to right. Story will come around and score. McMahon makes it a one-run game. And here comes C.J. Crone to the plate. Duval is going to come in to face Crone. 
Has it got interesting at Coors Field? 2-2. And this is looped to shallow right. This could drop. It will. McMahon to third. That's where you get hurt by the no doubles. And Charlie Blackman. A chance to tie it or maybe win it. You want to talk about a game potentially coming out of left field, proverbial left field. Here we go. Three and two. No, they didn't, Huey, and it helped propel them to a series win over the Giants. Welcome, everybody, to podcast number 95. You know what? We all love sports. You love sports. You wouldn't be listening to this podcast, certainly. And the victory that Charlie Blackman and the Rockies came up with in the night game of a day-night doubleheader on Tuesday is one that will linger from a positive standpoint for quite some time. And it got me thinking, why do we love sports? I mean, yeah, we want to see our teams win championships. We're winners, man. There's nothing better than a parade. There's nothing better than when our team is the last one standing. But the reality is, how infrequent does that occur? If you're a 20-year-old, you've been fortunate. You've seen the Broncos win a championship. But still, for most of your life, and especially lately, they've been also rans. If you're a Rockies fan, you've seen them, if you're 20 years old, when you were little, go to one World Series. That's it. If you're a Nuggets fan, you've never seen them in the NBA Finals. And if you're a 20-year-old, you're not old enough really to remember when the Avalanche won a Stanley Cup, the last one coming in 2001. The point being, championships are elusive. They're unusual, but we love sports. Want to know why we love sports? Moments like Charlie Blackman provided the other night. And I mean, especially when it's unlikely. Let's be honest. We, we all understand the Rockies are in transition. They're in all likelihood. It would be one of the great upsets ever if somehow they rallied and became a great team this year and won a World Series. I have my fingers crossed. Who the heck knows? But very unlikely, Right but they still can provide thrills. Think about that doubleheader on Tuesday night. In game one, you have your top pitcher on the mound, who has struggled a little bit, but he's still got great stuff, in Herman Marcus. And he goes out and he gives up 10 runs in the first inning. Actually, eight were charged to him, and then Chassin came in. 13 guys came up for the Giants. The Rockies were out in the field for a half hour. I've never seen anything like it. And I've called, it seems like, a bazillion baseball games. 10 nothing in the first. In fact, the only other time it happened was at Dodger Stadium in 2016. And Mark Redman, may have gone back before that, actually. Mark Redman gave up 10 runs in the first. And because the Rockies were out of pitching, Redman not only wore it, but he threw... Five more shutout innings after that. It's the only time it's ever happened in the history of the game. 
10 runs in the first, stayed in there, and then departed after six innings. He never gave up, gave up another run. Anyhow, the Rockies give up 10 in the first. By the time they get to the dugout, I mean, they, they hadn't seen it in over a half hour, and the game was basically over. They lose 12 to 4. Then the nightcap starts, and they go down 2 to nothing in the first, and you're like, what on earth is going on? And they're down 6 to 2 when they come to bat in the seventh innings, two seven inning games, right? Come to bat in the seventh inning. They have had virtually nothing going on offensively. CJ Crone provided all the offense. He, he hit a monster blast with a man on, and that's why the Rockies had a couple of runs. And they get a hit and out, a couple outs, and then Garrett Hansen gets a hit. So you have two guys on, there's two outs, you're down six to two. I mean, still, the likelihood of anything positive happening, unlikely. But there's no clock. This is baseball. There's no clock. You keep hitting, you keep the rally alive, you have a chance. Trevor Story doubles in two. All right, now it's six to four. Now you've piqued everybody's interest at home. Now you're kind of looking still if you hung in there. And you're saying, wait a second, this is getting a little interesting. You have the time run at the plate in the Rockies' leader in home runs with eight in Ryan McMahon. And McMahon throws out a base hit. Now it's six to five. C.J. Crone's up. Now you're like, wait a second. This guy hit a monster home run. He is red hot. He's hit five home runs in the last couple of weeks. He hits one out. It's ball game over. And he hits a, a pop fly to right. But naturally, the Giants are playing no double, so their backs are against the wall. And it drops for a long single. And McMahon's at third. And up comes Charlie Blackman. And now you're on the edge of your seat. I'm all in. What's going on here? This two-out rally's produced three runs. The tying run's at third. The winning run is now at first. C.J. Crone was replaced by the much faster Sam Hilliard. He's the winning run. And Charlie, a likely hero in some minds because he's had a marvelous career. Been a great player. But maybe one of the most unlikely heroes if you dissect what has transpired so far in the opening weeks of the 2021 season. Charlie, though the, the metrics are, are better than this, some of the hidden numbers, he's hitting well below 200. He hasn't hit a home run in more than a month. He's 0 for 7 in the doubleheader, and he's facing this 23-year-old who throws in the upper 90s and has a wicked slider. And Charlie battles away, and he fouls a couple pitches off, and then he barely nicks one with where it could have been game over, and he works the count to three and two, and then, boom, he hits a no-doubter over the auxiliary scoreboard, and the Rockies have one of the most unlikely wins I can ever recall. They're down four runs with two outs in the last inning, and they end up winning it eight to six. Crazy. And you never know where it takes anyone. Is it just a a moment in time, most likely, most likely, because the Rockies are don't have the group yet, the experience yet, where they're ready to make a run like they did in 2018, 2017. But it's why we love sports, man, because sports can still provide a great moment, even on a team that may not win a championship. And most of the time, those great moments by teams, by individuals, are provided by teams that don't win a championship. Yeah, we're going to all 
who are baseball fans, be looking in in late October when the World Series takes place, and then you're down to two. Same thing when we gather in, in early February and watch the Super Bowl, and for hockey fans, the Stanley Cup playoffs, and, and the NBA playoffs, etc. But it just goes to show you, that's why we love sports. On a, on a you know dreary night, and it's been a dreary day for the Rockies, on a Tuesday in early May, where it's colder than it ought to be, in the middle of spring, and that happened. And sports about entertainment. It's about it's about bringing joy. And I saw it on social media. I saw it on my friends who reached out after the game. It was like, holy shit, that just happened. Where did that come from? Again, on a day that began with the other team scoring ten runs in the first inning, and then two more in the, in game two, and it just looked like this is going to be one ugly day. So. Um, that was special, man. That was really special. And it's, uh, again, a reminder of why, you know, sports brings us together, um, why we absolutely adore sports. Staying with the, uh, with the Rockies for a moment, they announced that Billy Schmidt, who's been their vice president of scouting for a number of years, um, is going to be their interim general manager. They had options uh, in their front office with Zach Rosenthal. I talked about Zach uh, I think last week with Johnny Weil, who I talked about last week, Zach Wilson, uh, who was the farm director. Um, they're all good baseball people. And uh, they opted for Billy Schmidt, who's been around a long time. And I'll tell you, you know, brief background. Billy is exceptionally well thought of uh, in the industry. And he um, is excellent at player evaluation. You never hit anywhere close to a thousand when it comes to drafts, when it comes to, you know, high round picks. You're rolling the dice once you get outside the, you know, the first couple of rounds. But if you look at the Rockies' history, one of the things, and you can find plenty of fault with things they've done. I understand that. Um, but one of the things they've done well, especially if you compare it to other teams, is they've drafted pretty well. They had clunkers? Sure. Every team is. Look at the Dodgers. You don't believe me? Go look at the Dodgers the last 10 years. You're going to see some guys who go, wow, that was a really shrewd pick. That one turned out well. And you're going to look at a couple of others and go, I never heard of that guy. So every team has it. But when you look at some of the stars that were drafted by and raised as Rockies, um, they've done a really good job by and large. And Billy Schmidt has run that draft for a number of years. So the, the fact that he's going to be the interim general manager, good. He knows a lot of people uh, in the game. And I think it's more importantly... Uh, a great opportunity for the Rockies uh, to look around, to conduct a number of interviews with various people um, in the industry, uh, people that have been a general manager perhaps in the past, maybe people who are assistant general managers with other organizations in addition to people, um, you know, maybe that are within the organization that have earned an opportunity like the aforementioned guys uh, we spoke of last week. And briefly this week, but it's got to be a fact finding time for the Rockies so they can formulate a good plan moving forward, take information, take thoughts that are being utilized by other clubs in baseball and other clubs that are having success and use that to make the best possible decision in who you hire as the next general manager. 
because ideas and innovations in all sports are constantly changing and you want to be on the cutting edge. You don't want to fall behind. And the only way you do that is reach beyond your borders. And so this is a great opportunity uh, for the Rockies uh, to do that um, with uh, Greg Fiesel and, and Billy Schmidt. And we'll see, uh, you know, in coming days and coming months, on it, honestly, because it's not going to be a, a process that uh, is finalized evidently here in the next couple of weeks. They've uh, stated that they're going to go forth with this unit uh, till the end of the year and then uh, fully conduct uh, their search. And uh, so we'll... Uh, We'll see where it takes them, but it's a great opportunity. I think the organization needs to look at it as such. Moving to football, the NFL draft, I don't know if you heard this. The NFL draft was conducted uh, last week, and thankfully that is over. I like the draft, man. I, I, I get into the draft, especially when I've done a lot of college football, because I'll see some guys that uh, I had the, the opportunity to, to call their games and say, oh, okay, man, that guy went in the third round to, you know, Buffalo. And they're like, okay, I think that guy's a good player, man. He went in the fourth round uh, to Cincinnati. So it, it, it is fun uh, for me. I know it's fun for all of you. It does get talked about ad nauseum in the lead up with the mock drafts and the this and that. And I also find it almost comical uh, after the draft and it's immediate. It means after the first round and then it's after the day two. And then, you know, of course, then there's a volume of stuff written and the grades. Everybody has to have a grade, you know, on, on a draft. And that I do find particularly humorous because how in the hell do we know until it's two or three years down the road as to how a guy plays out? There's not a guy in the first round in any draft that when you look at it, you say, okay, man, yep, he ran a 4-4-2-40 and he, you know, bench pressed two and a quarter, 27 times. And they all look good on paper. They wouldn't be drafted in the first round or the second round if they weren't really good in college or did really well at the combine. But as we know, half of those guys are going to flame out in the first round. And then when you move down to deeper rounds, there's going to be more flame outs. And then you're going to have, why did that guy five years from now, how the hell was that guy a fifth round pick? How did Tom Brady go in the sixth round out of Michigan and become the greatest of all time? It's the beauty of the draft, but assessing it 24 hours later or 24 minutes later is kind of ludicrous. But you know what? There are people who have to write columns. There are people like me who have to fill up space in a podcast. So we talk about it. We write about it. As for your Broncos and what they did, on paper, that's all we're talking about right now, they got, it seems like, a hell of a cornerback, great pedigree. Obviously, his dad, uh, Patrick Sertan Sr., was, was a terrific player, became a coach, coached him at American Heritage High School in Florida. Seems like a, a really good pick. Big physical cornerback, very competitive, great teammate. Um, seems like a really good pick. And, I, and I'm one where you can't just draft for need. And that room, the cornerback room, the secondary room, has gotten you know much better over the last 18 months. Um, you have to draft the best player available, and I think the Broncos did that. What was curious to me, and they got a lot of praise for this, the running back they took in the second round out of North Carolina, and to me, and I hope this kid's a great player, uh, but to me, running backs are 
almost non-essential in that you can often find them, as they did with Philip Lindsay as an undrafted guy, or in a later round, because the NFL, as you are well aware, is all about quarterbacks, wide receivers, blindside tackles with a right-handed quarterback, we're talking left tackle, and defensively, edge rushers and cornerbacks. That's what the league's about. And look at the pay scale. Those are the guys that get paid. So I don't get super excited about a running back, especially in the second round. As I said, I hope he turns out to be a great player. I hope the whole draft is great. And the, and the Broncos can really take a significant step forward. Now to the Aaron Rodgers rumors. This is, a, this is obvious. If you can get Aaron Rodgers... It's the Peyton Manning 2.0, and it may even be better than that. Because when Peyton Manning came to the Broncos, he was still damaged goods. Turned out great. Won a Super Bowl, uh, you know, took the Broncos to another Super Bowl. You could probably get more out of Aaron Rodgers, who's healthier and is coming off an MVP season, if they're able to pull off that blockbuster. Big if. Big if. If you can do it, you do it. The proverbial no-brainer. Now, having said that, we come back to Drew Locke, who by all accounts has had a, for what it's worth, a great offseason. He's in the, as they like to say, he's the first one in the facility. He's the last one to leave. He's working out hard. He's studying film. You've heard me say this before when it's come up. The NFL moves way too quickly on quarterbacks. They refuse to be patient. Take Drew Locke, for instance. We've seen him good. We've seen him really good at times, and we've seen him bad. We've seen him throw the ball way too frequently to the other team, force the ball. But Drew Locke's going into his third year. Does Drew Drew Locke check off some boxes? Does he have have a big-time arm? Yeah, he can make all the throws. What about the requisite athleticism that some of the top-flight quarterbacks now possess and or alluring coming out of college that maybe once that was not the case where you had to be in the pocket, you can only win a Super Bowl from the pocket, that whole diatribe. Well, Drew Locke's a heck of an athlete. Drew Locke can tuck the football down and make you miss and and pick up positive yardage and and turn a, a, a bad play into a good play. So there's a lot to like there. He has to stop throwing it to the other team. He can't force the football as much, but he needs experience. I'm not out on Drew Locke. I'm all in if if you can get Aaron Rodgers, as I said. But I think Drew Locke can be a very good quarterback still in the NFL if you are patient. One of the things that's going to help him is he gets Cortland Sutton back at true number one. Jerry Judy, who's a great route runner and, and had trouble with drops at times last year, now won't be matched up with number one cornerbacks. Hamler's a year older. They have an emerging star, hopefully a tight end and fan. So there's a lot of things to like. And one other thing about being patient. If I told you two years ago, if I said the same thing I just did about Drew Locke, about Garrett Bowles, you'd rip me a new one. What are you, crazy? You've been watching this guy. He holds every play. He's almost penalized left tackle in football. He's a complete bust. The, the Broncos need a left tackle. And all of a sudden, the guy got better. He got a lot better. And now, 
After last year, he played like one of the better left tackles in football. Patience, patience, patience. Sometimes it doesn't work. I understand that. But sometimes you need to have patience. You want a, a quarterback analogy? Look at Josh Allen. It's not like he was tearing the world up in Buffalo early in his tenure there. Now, kidding me? Josh Allen's the king of Buffalo. And look how good Buffalo was a year ago. And look at how much better Josh Allen, who was never going to be an accurate quarterback and didn't play, you know, at Wyoming against the greatest competition. A lot of teams would like Josh Allen now. So just pump the brakes on Drew Locke. If it is Drew Locke and then the Broncos can't pull off the blockbuster. All right, excited to talk to the Gray Wolf. John Gray, and you hear me say this, maybe people get tired of me saying this on broadcast. Yeah, every guy's a good guy. Um, but John Gray is a really nice man. I, uh, he's a young man, and, and a lot of these guys are young to me anyhow. So I say he's a really nice kid. Um, I like John a lot, very personable, and I appreciate the work he's put in to become a very, very solid major league pitcher, and one that has tamed Coors Field by and large. His numbers at Coors Field um, are, are almost Jorge De La Rosa-like. He wins there. And um, you'll hear in this interview, he wants to be a Rocky, uh, hopefully forever. Now, he's not in control of that uh, entirely, but uh, he's always good to visit with. He's off to the best start of his major league career. So enjoy our Ideal Home Loans interview of the week. It's the Gray Wolf, John Gray. You know, when you use the term veteran, it refers to somebody who's been in the league for a while. So I can say now comfortably, John Gray is a veteran pitcher. Does that sound weird, man? Uh, it sounds a little weird. Uh, I don't definitely don't feel that old. But, I mean, it, just looking back on it, there's been a lot I've been through. And uh, I do feel like I'm established. We were just talking a moment ago that, um, and I think I've mentioned this before on the air, that you're like the only guy that typically lives in Colorado, you and your wife, in the off season. Um, it, I know last year was different because of COVID. Um, why, why that decision? Um, well, we just we just bought a place in Arizona last year, and uh, we, we we've owned a home in Colorado for a while now here in Denver, and it's it's been. It's been great to, to stay here after seasons for a month or two and uh, just kind of go golfing or even uh, working out here has been fun. But um, but it was very it was kind of our first time to be in Arizona this off season, so we decided to go ahead and give it a shot. How how frequently do you get back to Oklahoma? Uh, we try to get we try to go once every year and uh, make that trip as long as possible. Sometimes it's two weeks, sometimes it's only one, but uh, we try to get out there as much as we can. How good do you feel on the mound right now? Uh, I feel good with all. I feel good with the good mix. I feel like there's um, we're not resorting to one or two pitches right now, and that's that's really good. It's, uh, I can tell that hitters aren't really looking at a particular area on me, so it's it's nice to have all those weapons and be able to use them all. You know, it's interesting because when you when you were drafted third overall out of Oklahoma, it was all about you know big big arm and, and velocity's become such a huge part of the of the game, particularly what you do naturally. Um, and it, it's interesting always for me that a lot of times, not always, but a lot of times guys like yourself who have the ability to throw a baseball really hard ultimately become the best version of themselves when they're not necessarily throwing as hard as they are capable. Um, is that Was that hard to get your arms around? 
Um, it was at first. It was at first. It took a long time because I just wanted to uh, pretty much let everything eat and you know <laughs> stay stay around a hundred. But um, but no, I, I started I started learning that I could beat people with ninety four, ninety five, and um, my command got a whole lot better throughout the years. And uh, I, just, I just feel like it's it's all coming together. Like it's um, it just gets better and better every year. I feel like I find a new weapon or a new edge. It, you know, it's interesting. You said something in spring training. You said, you know what? I'm really having, uh, I'm enjoying the game more. I'm having fun more. And I think probably for the average fan, they they may have been taken back saying, man, a guy's, you know, really good. He's playing baseball for a living. It's got to be all fun and games. And many don't realize that it. a lot of times it's anything but that, isn't it? Right, yeah, and it can it can be so easy to get distracted from what it really is. And, um, there's so there's so many things you can think about with it, and uh, but I'm just trying to keep everything simple right now, and just to just count my blessings and realize that I get to put on a uniform and play baseball. That's pretty cool, and uh, I'll enjoy that as long as I get to do it. So um, yeah, just uh, just a kind of a reality check there to kind of straighten myself out. John, what what's the most improved part of your of your repertoire? Do you think from say five years ago, four or five years ago? Uh, I'd say it's the ability to pitch in. Yeah, I think I think I think using the fastball, moving the fastball around, pitching in, pitching up. I think that's been that's been the biggest thing. How about uh, you know you've always had a great slider. I mean, do you is that something every time you throw a bullpen or or you're getting ready to go out on the mound, you're throwing in the pen before you know making your start. Is that typically a pitch you're always going to have? Um, typically yes. There's there's been times where it has gotten. Where it hasn't been as sharp, or it's been more like a cutter, and I'll notice my strikeouts won't be that high for the day. But um, but I can, I can still use that pitch, and if it's not at its best, I, you know, I still feel like we can keep it out of the middle of the plate, and uh, it's it's pretty effective. So I think I think it, it the pitch hasn't necessarily improved, but I'm, I'm learning how to use it better. You know, I've heard a lot through the years, whether it be you or or you know many other pitchers who who start games. You, a guy will have a great performance, and afterward they'll be asked, you know, a bunch of questions, and and they'll invariably say, you know, it was interesting because in the bullpen I couldn't throw anything for a strike. I didn't think, feel like I had anything, and then you go out on the field and you pitch great. Or sometimes the opposite occurs. You're, you, you know, everything looks great in the pen, and you go out and you have a, you know, a clunker. Um, how often does that occur? That's pretty accurate, and it's usually it's usually like it works in extremes. If you're extremely bad in the bullpen, you'll be probably extremely good in the game, and yeah, vice versa. But uh, yeah, it's it's already happened to me once this year. I had like the best bullpen ever before the Dodgers game, and I think it was my worst game of the year in LA. So um, I don't want to say it was that, but it just tends to work out that way. So if you ever spraying balls in the bullpen, it's not a bad thing. Hey, you mentioned you mentioned the Dodgers, and they get a lot of attention, and, and well, they should. They're they're world champions. They've won eight straight division titles. Is there a different feel for you individually, and maybe even for the clubhouse when you are rolling into L.A. and it's a three game series, or the Dodgers are at Coors Field? Yeah, I feel pretty good matching up with those guys. Really, um, uh, there's a lot of tough teams in our division, but I mean. Um, uh, yeah, I'd probably say they're our toughest. I mean, every there's not any weak spots on the lineup, so it's um, but whenever you have a game like that, I mean, there's just you kind of see like a big opportunity in front of you. Um, and when you do well in a game like that, and you come out, it feels great. It does, and it's uh it makes it worth it. 
you know, we, we have to talk for three, three and a half, four hours. So we, you know, have volumes of information and a lot of it is kind of superfluous at times. But, you know, one of the things we say is, you know, pitchers typically know who's got their number, just like hitters know which pitcher they really struggle against. When you go into a game, do you have to look at a scouting report before uh, a pitcher's uh, or a hitter, excuse me, a pitcher's meeting to know that uh, okay, Bellinger, you know what, he's he's always hit my slider. He's always, you know, I is that something you know even before anybody presents it to you? Uh, yes, for the most part. There's some things that will surprise me because um, you know sometimes you feel like a guy hasn't done that great off of you, but you look up and you look up on a, on a sheet and it says he's. You know, 15 for 30 something, but it's, uh, I don't know. I don't really like to look at scouting reports for the most part. Like, I like to stay with my strengths and then see how well that matches up against their strengths. And, uh, I mean, it can, it can, it can get into small little games too, you know, and especially when you're out there playing and competing. But, but I don't, I don't really like to focus on what other people, you know, what their best stuff is. I do like to focus on what I can do best and, and then adjust to that. We'll have more with John Gray in a moment, but uh, first is for an old friend, somebody I've known not only for a long time, but have done quite a bit of business with him through the years. Brent Ivinson and Ideal Home Loans. They can save you money, and they've saved so many people money through the years in our area and also down in the Phoenix area. They're terrific at what they do. They listen, and they come up with a great plan that is particular to your needs. So if you're buying a new home, if you're refinancing, if you're consolidating debt, give them a shout. Ideal Home Loans at 303-867-7000. I've utilized them several times. I've sent a lot of people in their direction and they're all super satisfied. 303-867-7000. 303-867-7000. Ideal Home Loans. They have an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau. Now more with the Gray Wolf. Hey John, with um, with with the Dodgers and and how successful they've been. Moreover, when you first arrived in the big leagues, did you ever find yourself looking in and saying, "Oh man, that's so and so. I can't believe I'm pitching against him." Oh yeah, that happened quite a bit. Yes, uh, especially with the older players. Uh, I remember playing against uh, Alex Rodriguez before he retired, David Ortiz. There's a bunch of them. Did any of them? Uh, w- was any of it intimidating, or was it like this is pretty cool? A little bit of both. I think uh, when when Ortiz was in Boston, that, when he came to that, it was pretty intimidating. But it was also very, very cool, and it's something I always remember. But um, but yeah, I, yeah, it's it's super cool being able to kind of you know sit back and look at it that way, and just realize that hey, <laughs> you know, I was like a little kid. I saw this guy play on TV or whatever. I played with this guy in my video game and stuff like that. It was it's just it's a little weird, but it's uh it's very, very cool. Yeah, is there a favorite punch out you've ever had? Probably Alex Rodriguez. Yeah. Now he was in. He was, uh, you know, doing. He's obviously been doing TV stuff the last several years. And I remember um, they had uh, ESPN had had a Rockies game, so he was in the dugout, at, you know, doing some homework before the game. Did you ever have a chance to meet him after that? No, I'm, I, you know, I would, I would, I'd like to meet him, but. Uh... And there's a lot of people I'd like to meet. I just see them all the time. But I'm, I'm always, I'm not approachable. Like I, I, I don't really go up to people and ask them uh, or even say anything to them. I'm pretty uh, introverted. Was there, was there a favorite guy though growing up? I mean, and was it necessarily a pitcher? My brother and I always thought Nolan Ryan was the coolest pitcher ever. So uh, 
Yeah, I'd probably say it was, I'd probably say it was Nolan Ryan. Okay, I want to get to your brother in a second, but I want to ask you another question about how, how you've changed uh, and matured. You know, you're 29 and you've been at this for a while. Um, I asked you from a repertoire standpoint, but what about from, you know, a wiring standpoint, a personality standpoint? How are you different now than, say, four or five years ago? I still, I still feel like I'm just as competitive as I was, but uh, but I'm I'm not hanging on to the stuff that, that kind of made me like an angry person, I guess. Uh, there's, some, there's some things that can happen during a game and can really just kind of take you out of it completely. But I think I did a good job of handling those things, like – uh, I don't feel like those things are getting to me anymore. I feel like if something bad happens in a game, uh, we do something to counteract that, and we're right back where we need to be. So I think uh, just making that switch, kind of like putting the foot down almost, whenever things get too bad, and and just um, creating a new course. I think that's been that's been a big help. Yeah, John. I often say this about baseball, and you know, uh, obviously, I love the game. You love the game. Um, it, it is the toughest of the team sports mentally because. We know from a hitter standpoint, there's so much failure, so much disappointment. The best hitters in the world, seven times out of ten, are going to drag their bat back to the dugout and be disappointed. Well, I, I say this also about starting pitchers. I mean, if you have a if you have a rough outing, I mean, you can't go back out the next day and say, "All right, I'm going to erase a memory of that." You you got to wait five days. That's got to be difficult at times, man. Yeah, that can that can be a long five days too, and especially when you have like a game that can. Uh, really bad when they can like ruin your numbers, and it, it takes a few weeks to get those numbers back down. But uh, yeah, I mean, that's the tough, that's the tough part of it. I mean, you got to be ready, and um, every time, every time I go out there, I try to leave everything on the field. That way, I can, you know, if it's good or bad, whatever, I can just move on to the next one. Don't really have any regrets of what I should have done, shouldn't have done. So um, yeah, it's it's definitely uh, it's definitely tough in that case, but. Um, yeah, I feel like it's like we're doing pretty good. Do you who, is there somebody you lean on in between starts? I mean, is it your wife, or or do you kind of just introspect and and take care of it yourself? Um, a little bit of a little bit, little bit between myself and my wife. I talk to her a lot about how I'm feeling, and um, yeah, she's she's a big she's a big help and big support. She always makes me feel good about going out there again. You know, for me, looking at the group that you have as a rotation, it's a little bit unusual, John, in this day and age, really in any in in sports in general, but particularly when you look at baseball, that you guys, by and large, you know, you and Herman and, and Kyle and Senza, you guys have been together for for a significant period of time, which rarely happens in baseball. How close a group are you? We're a really close group. I mean, even with the language barrier with some of us, I mean, we, we're still like, oh, my gosh, but especially this last week, we've been joking and hanging out like <laughs> like crazy. It's been fun. But uh, everybody, everybody gets along. Everybody laughs at each other. Uh, you know, we always keep it real uh, light around. This is a really fun group. Like, I, just, I just really enjoy being around these guys, and they're super talented, super talented. Um, I can't wait for Freeland to get back out and just watching Mark Kesmanson's telework is really fun. It's cool. It's really cool. It's, I mean, it feels like a, it feels like we're on a little like basketball team. <laughs> well, what, you know, when we show shots invariably the dugout, I mean, it's always you know Senza and Marky and you and, and Freeland's right there. It's, it, it's like you guys are always somewhat together. Is that pretty fair? Yeah, yeah, for sure. And uh, yeah, we, we were always staying in touch and. Um, you know, we play like games in the dugout, like home run games and stuff like that, where we call homers. 
Um, we're all, yeah, we're just always trying to keep it fun and, and light. I shouldn't leave Chi-Chi out of that because I know Chi-Chi's right there as well. Absolutely, yeah. Who's your throwing partner, by the way, this year? Um, I've been bouncing around. I haven't had a set partner, but um, I throw with the with the bullpen catchers half the time, and sometimes when somebody else is missing their guy, I'll throw with them. But, uh, yeah, I just kind of bounce around. Right. I want to go back growing up in, in Oklahoma with with Jack, your, your older brother. How much of an influence uh, athletically – uh, has he been on your life? Oh, he's been a huge, huge influence athletically. He was, he was, he was in the sports, and he was a year older than me. So growing up, like he got to do everything, and I kind of got to, I guess, like watch him do it. So it, it just kind of made, made me kind of gravitate towards that path. And uh, you know, we we played on a lot of the same teams growing up too. Like uh, in our fourteen, when he was fourteen and I was thirteen, we played on the same team. So I always played a year up with him, and uh, I think that helped me out a lot. He was a he was a heck of an athlete, wasn't he? Oh yeah, he was a way better athlete than I was for sure. Was football his uh, his best sport? Um, I, it's it's tough to say. I feel like he was I feel like he was really good at everything, but uh, I think he could have taken baseball a lot further than football. But he loved football, and he was really good at football too. Drew has more with Rockies pitcher John Gray right after this. Tell you every week about the great folks at Steel. They have over 10,000 dealers around the country, and now we're in the midst of spring. Summer's around the corner. You're getting your backyard in shape. You need steel products like I have. S-T-I-H-L. Go to steeldealers.com. Again, that's steel, S-T-I-H-L. They have battery tools from mowers and blowers to chainsaws and trimmers, and uh they have the best products out on the market. They're celebrated around the world Go see for yourself. You're going to load up your garage as I have with their stuff. Real Steel, S-T-I-H-L. Find yours at steeldealers.com. Start my day every day with Boyer's Coffee. And you know what? I feel good about it, first of all, because their coffee tastes great. I finished my day with it, as you know, at the ballpark uh, from the Boyer's Cafe on the club level, which is uh, just around the corner from our broadcast booth. But uh, I feel doubly good about it because they're a locally owned and operated company. They're community-minded. They are environmentally conscious. They began back in 1965. So not only are you enjoying great coffee, but you also can feel good about helping uh, support a Colorado company that is a great partner in the community. BoyersCoffee.com is where you can find them online, all their different flavors. You can have it delivered right to your house as I do, or you can go to your favorite grocery store and find Boyers Coffee there as well. BoyersCoffee.com. Now back to Drew with Rocky starter John Gray. Growing up in, in Oklahoma with the with the pull, and I know you were a Sooner fan, with, with the pull of, of Oklahoma football, uh, was it, and, and you were a very good football player, at what point in time did you let that dream go and say, hey, you know what, I, I, I probably have to go the baseball route? <laughs> probably when I started playing American Legion baseball, and uh, I think I was 15 at the time. 14 or 15, that's, what, that's when I decided, like, hey, I, I think this is going to be the route. I don't want to take, but, but still, I, I always love OU football. Did you get recruited anywhere in football as a, as a D-end or tight end? I didn't play my senior year, but when I was a junior, I was – uh, who was it? NS or it might have been made in Northeastern State, but um, there were a few Division two schools that you know said if I wanted to play football, just to give them a holler. <laughs> so you didn't you didn't miss it though your senior year? I, I did a little bit, yeah, I did, but um, 
but my brother wasn't there on the team and uh there was a lot of guys that I played with before that weren't there so it was it probably would have been a little a little more difficult what was the most enjoyable uh thing playing for the Sooners you know I always I really loved going and playing in a Big 12 tournament up in Oklahoma City I thought that was a great great time every every time I wanted to ask you, and I'd be remiss if I didn't do this, but you, you've been renowned as somebody that uh, hunts ghosts. Is that something you still are into? Well, I haven't done any hunting, but I, I'm anything unexplained. I'm very into. I love that kind of stuff. So Uf, UFOs, you're all in, all that stuff. Yes, 100. percent So, uh, have you ever been up to the Stanley Hotel in Estes Park, snooped around? Yes, yes, that's kind of what started the whole ghost hunter thing. Was I, I went up there one summer with my dad, and we stayed up there for a day, and we took a bunch of pictures in the hallways and stuff like that. We, we didn't catch anything, but uh, but it was still really cool, really cool. How about the Fister, which uh, uh, maybe people out here don't know? Great, beautiful historic hotel in downtown Milwaukee, where not just the Rockies, virtually every team. I used to stay there when I was working in the NBA. Everybody always stays at the Fister. But there are some guys that won't stay there because they say it's haunted. Yeah, I've heard, I've heard the stories about people kind of freaking out or having something happen. But uh, but uh, we've as long I mean, as far as I know, I've never had anybody on our team anything has ever happened to them. It's always been a good place to stay for us. That dude, I know nothing about this stuff. But do you have any gadgetry? I mean, like where you can supposedly determine if they're ghosts? Yeah, I did. I I, I grabbed a few items. Um, before the sister trip, um, I, I want to say my rookie year, the year after my rookie year, just to take it up there and, and turn it on and see what would happen. I, nothing happened, but it was still really cool to kind of mess around with this stuff and learn about it. It was, it's still very interesting to me. Have you pulled any ghost pranks on any of your teammates? <laughs> no, I won't. I won't do anything like that. I I don't like being joked on or pranks, so I'm. I'm, I'm, I won't do it to anyone else. You, you can stay away from it. So I've stayed at the Stanley, and you know what? I had a good night's sleep. I didn't see anything. Am I? Am I? Am I okay? Am I normal? See, I think so. That's what happened to me. I felt normal. See, there was there was no issue. Hey, before I let you get on, on out of here, in your career, um, most influential teammates that you've had? I'm gonna probably go with uh, Charlie Blackman. Interesting. Not a pitcher, position guy. Why is that? Just his work ethic, the way he sees everything. Um, there's no doubt in Charlie's mind at all. And uh, I don't know, I, just, I guess just the way he looks at everything, the way he goes about his business. Um, I really like the way he handles himself. He carries himself. Everything about him I really respect. So it's it's just, I don't know, he's just one of my favorite players. <laughs> I really like uh, really like being on this team, especially when I was a rookie, you know, coming up. Hey, the the free agency thing um, is that a distraction? Is it something you think about periodically? Um, is it hard to you know not you know keep it, you to keep it away from your mind? How, how do you deal with that? Um, yeah, it can be kind of hard to keep you know because I mean you know it's there, but um, but I'm not I'm also not worried. Like uh, I know that whatever happens happens, but. Um, if I had it my way, I'd, I'd stay here for however long I could. But, um, but yeah, I mean, it's you know things can't stay the same forever, and I understand that. So I'm just uh, just kind of embracing everything. Yeah, I think it's neat to hear that, especially from a pitcher's perspective, because so many pitchers who've never 
pitched in Colorado or had you know the success obviously you've had pitching at Coors Field they fear it yet your your group seems to in many instances pitch better at home at altitude yeah I feel like I do I feel like I feel like we a lot of us do and uh, we just have I don't know it's just it's home to me and um, I know I can do better than the other guy yeah, that's a great way of looking at it. Hey, John, it, it's been a blast to watch you pitch not only this year but the last several years and look forward to, to many more. And it's uh, it's always good to get caught up and, and appreciate the time. Good luck the rest of the way. Stay healthy, my friend. All right. Thanks, Drew. I appreciate it. Big thanks to John, and hopefully he has continued uh, success and great health. Um, everybody has interesting avocations. He chases ghosts. Okay. Maybe maybe it has something to do with being a baseball player and especially a pitcher. You got a lot of idle time. There's there's nobody that that's wackier than guys that are in the bullpen. And John's a starting pitcher, so he has more of a set routine. But if you're uh, in a bullpen, you know what? You spend enough time in a bullpen. Wherever your marbles were when you first arrived, you have less marbles six, seven, eight, nine, ten years later. I can only imagine some of the conversations that take place down there. I've heard some of them. A lot of crazy going on down there. Anyhow, hope you enjoyed it. Um, big thanks again to uh, John Gray. Guess what? We'll do it again next week. Tell your friends. Make sure you listen to DNVR podcast uh, each week with my buddies, uh, Patrick and Drew. We have a lot of fun uh, when I'm fortunate enough to join them uh, on a weekly basis, but they do a great job in covering the Rockies. You guys stay well, and uh, we'll talk to you one week from today on the Drew Goodman Podcast. You've been listening to the Drew Goodman Podcast. Subscribe at iTunes or wherever you find podcasts. And leave a comment. That helps other people find the show.